Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. 2018 was a pivotal year. The modern UN-created State of Israel, not to be confused with biblical Israel, had declared for itself a jubilee. In 2017, the non-authoritative but religious body of the Kabad-created and run Sanhedrin had declared its jubilee. For two years, the Jews celebrated their first jubilee in over 2,000 years. So, for two years, the Israeli Jewish nation celebrated a jubilee with no intention of restoring Yahweh's land and all believers' inheritance back to all twelve tribes. That's because Judaism teaches that all twelve tribes must convert to Judaism. They believe that all who are truly Israelites have already done that. So a call to all Jews to return to the land is to them a call to all twelve tribes. Yet the House of Israel exiles who are trapped in their various religions of Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, New Age, etc. still await their call to return because the House of Judah Jews of Judaism reject that we are their Hebrew brethren. They even reject the House of Judah descendants that are still trapped in Christianity, Islam, and the other world religions. To Judaism, those who do not practice the religion do not have a part among their Jewish Hebrew brethren and will not have a part in the world to come except as Noahide Gentiles and slaves of the Jews. But we shouldn't complain. After all, Hebrew Roots believers, those who have come out of Christianity under the calling of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, were once under the notion that unless Jews and Gentiles accepted Christian doctrine, they too would be excluded from the coming kingdom. And Islam has its own ideas about the next life as well. Yahweh's people are caught and trapped in ideologies that are not theirs, worshiping gods they were never intended to, but which were prophesied to happen for their rebellion. Deuteronomy 11.28 says, And a curse is what you'll get if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. So, here we are today, stuck with the hatred that religions bring because Yahweh's people have rejected his righteous kingdom with all its benefits from the beginning. Now, you might think this has nothing to do with the news. The fact is that it has everything to do with the news. That is, the news that affects those looking for Yeshua's return and the start of his righteous kingdom and our becoming, once again, part of a holy nation. I have been explaining how Judaism and Islam are both vying for supremacy in the world, but the arguments are hottest right now in the head of the westernized nations, America. 
You've heard about the recent rise of the Kabad Kabal right-wing supremacy-oriented Judaism in the Jewish state and the Jewish man who will be revealed by them as the one who will rule the world. This is Messiah number one, which I have told you about in recent months, who will be the Jewish Antichrist. Indeed, it is the revealing of the Antichrists, yes, plural Antichrists, that is the topic of this section of Beast Watch News today. So let's do a quick review of what we've learned about the Jewish Antichrist so far by watching this video from which I have taken excerpts regarding Jewish supremacy. So we're going to tell you about something called Chabad Lubavitch, which the title says is a Jewish supremacist doomsday cult behind the New World Order. And this is the article that really exposes um, what Chabad is all about and gets to the Jewish supremacist component. And I don't think we are... So this is from Veterans Today. It's an article from the end of last year, December 26, 2017. Ex-Chabad member exposes Trump family cult. And the subtitle, I'll describe Chabad the way I see it given my past membership in it. Chabad is a racist organization, a Jewish supremacist missionary cult whose main goal is Jewish total superiority over the Goyim and their enslavement. Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg is an interesting individual because he has interesting things to say about the Goyim. That's a non-Jew. He argues that there is an eternal or cosmic gap between the Goyim and the Chosen. He declares, quote, If every single cell in a Jewish body entails divinity and is thus a part of God, then every strand of DNA is a part of God. Therefore, something is special about Jewish DNA. There is something more holy and unique about Jewish life than about non-Jewish life. This is a Chabad rabbi. Book Condoning Murder has another rabbi in hot water. and said in this book, quote, It is permissible to kill the righteous among nations, even if they are not responsible for the threatening situation. If we kill a Gentile who has sinned or has violated one of the seven commandments, there is nothing wrong with the murder. That's a Chabad rabbi. Schneerson is quoted as saying, and the difference between a Jewish and a non-Jewish person stems from the common expression, let us differentiate. Thus, we do not have a case of profound change in which a person is merely on a superior level. Rather, we have a case of let us differentiate between totally different species. The Jewish body looks as if it were, it, it were similar in substance to bodies of non-Jews, but the meaning is that the bodies only seem to be similar in material substance, outward look, and superficial quality. The difference of inner quality, however, is so great that the bodies should be considered as completely different species. This is the reason why the Talmud states that there is a halakhic difference in attitude about the bodies of non-Jews as opposed to the bodies of Jews, and their bodies are in vain. An even greater difference exists in regard to the soul. Two contrary types of soul exist. A non-Jewish soul comes from three satanic spheres, while the Jewish soul stems from holiness. The body of a Jewish embryo is on a higher level than is the body of a non-Jew. We therefore ask, why should a non-Jew be punished 
if he kills even a non-Jewish embryo where a Jew should not be punished, even if he kills a Jewish embryo? The answer can be understood by considering the general difference between Jews and non-Jews. A Jew is not created as a means for some other purpose. He himself is the purpose, since the substance of all divine emanations was created only to serve the Jews. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth means that the heavens and the earth were created for the sake of the Jews who are called the beginning. This means everything, all developments, all discoveries, the creation, including the heavens and the earth, are vanity compared to the Jews. The important things are the Jews because they do not exist for any other aim. They themselves are the divine aim. This is the story from Michael Berg, who's a Jew who became, who uh, entered the Chabad cult for four years and wanted to write about it after his experience. He says, We used to have meetings in which we had discussed the coming of the Jewish Messiah and the future world as envisioned by Chabad and the Jewish religion. A world where the Jews are the supreme masters of the earth, where every individual Jew has as many as 2,800 Gentile slaves. A world where the only purpose of non-Jews is to serve Jews. On the other hand, the Jews are considered as the seed of God. What does the sudden rise of Jewish supremacy have to do with the Jewish Antichrist? Won't he want to be even-handed with all the people of the earth? The answer to the last question is no. He won't want to be even-handed and treat all people with equality and mercy. The reason for this answers the first question, which is Jewish supremacy. The coming Jewish Messiah, who is Antichrist, will be a Kabad Kabal Jewish supremacist of the ilk you just watched in the video. Now, let's talk about Antichrist number two. The battleground of Antichrist numbers one and two is forming on American soil. Let me explain. There is an ongoing 1,400-year struggle of Islam for world dominance, which is rearing its ugly head in the United States under the Ilhan Omar anti-Semitism debacle. Let's look at this video, which expresses the Islamic agenda for America. Education is one of the most important areas that Muslims have to address. And while our objective, our final objective, is not just to become part of the system that we experience now and that we see, our objective, our final objective, is to create our own Islamic systems, and not only create Islamic systems for Muslims, but to look at all the other people who are sharing this country with us as potential Muslims. And if we look at them as potential Muslims and feel that we have the obligation, which Allah has told us, to try to bring them into the same style of thinking, into the same uh, way of behaving, into the same objectives that we have, then we have to have some way that we can communicate with them and some way we can work with them. And in that long-range process, of making America Muslim, all of America Muslim, then we have to have some actual short-range goals. We have to have some way of dealing with them and know how we're going to deal with them and in which ways and be very calculated about it or else we will not accomplish our goals. I have been telling you for a long time about the Islamic Messiah who will be the Islamic Antichrist. Now, 
Let's put these two ideologies, that of the Kabad Kabal Judaism and Islam, together with the Ilhan Omar debacle. Ilhan Omar is, as you know, the replacement for outgoing Minnesota's Representative Keith Ellison, the first Muslim elected to Congress. Makes me wonder what's gotten into Minnesotans. Let's remember how many Muslim refugees have been settled there over recent decades. Clearly, these Muslims are voting in large numbers in Minnesota now, and they seem to have been successful in persuading the general Minnesota population about the peacefulness of Islam. Ilhan misled Minnesota voters about her intentions toward Israel, as Americans vote less, Immigrants with an eye toward changing American culture while taking advantage of American wealth vote more. There is more to the problem that Minnesotans have created for America, though. There were two other factors that affected the outcome in Minnesota. First, Ilhan preyed on America's love for immigrants, despite the problems at the southern border. Americans support legal immigration, and we all know that just a few generations ago, our families were immigrants. So Americans want to extend their welcoming hand. How much better can Americans feel about themselves than to openly accept and even promote those who are so much different in ideology, theology, culture, and everything else? It just gives us all such a warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? We can pat our American selves on the back and proclaim how wonderful we are while ignoring our own stupidity. Next, Ilhan made use of an ancient Islamic doctrine of deception, taqiyah. It is this that has now gotten Americans the situation that exists in the American Congress. Watch this report by David Wood. Taqiyah is one of Islam's religiously acceptable forms of deception. It involves lying to protect yourself or to protect the Muslim community. Historically, taqiyah has been much more important for Shia Muslims than for Sunni Muslims because Shias have been in the minority much more frequently than Sunnis. And in order to protect themselves from being persecuted or slaughtered by Sunnis, Shias often had to deny that they're Shias. The prevalence of taqiyah among Shias living in Sunni areas has led many Sunnis to conclude that Shias invented taqiyah, despite the fact that taqiyah is found in the Quran. For instance, in chapter 16, verse 106 of the Quran, Allah says that his wrath abides on any Muslim who decides to reject Islam unless the Muslim is forced to reject Islam while inwardly remaining a true believer. The verse reads, Whoso disbelieveth in Allah after his belief, save him who is forced thereto and whose heart is still content with faith, but whoso findeth ease in disbelief, on them is wrath from Allah. Theirs will be an awful doom. This verse was supposedly revealed after Muhammad's companion, Amr bin Yasser, cursed Muhammad and praised pagan gods while being tortured. Since Amr only cursed Muhammad because he was being tortured, he was forgiven. So, if you're a Muslim and you say, I reject Islam, and you mean it, you're in trouble. But if you're a Muslim and you say, I reject Islam, and you don't mean it, you're okay. Some Muslims insist that this is all there is to taqiyah, 
It's simply pretending to renounce your faith in order to protect your life. But taqiyya also involves pretending to be friendly towards non-Muslims even though you hate them. In chapter 3, verse 28 of the Quran, we read, Let not the believers take disbelievers for their friends in preference to believers. Whoso doeth that hath no connection with Allah, unless it be that ye but guard yourselves against them, taking, as it were, security. Don't take unbelievers as friends unless it's to guard yourselves against them. Notice that this verse has nothing to do with pretending you're not a Muslim. It's about pretending to be friendly when you don't really want to be friendly. Let's read the most respected Muslim commentary in history on this verse. Tafsir of Ibn Kathir on chapter 3 verse 28 of the Quran. Allah prohibited his believing servants from becoming supporters of the disbelievers or to take them as comrades with whom they develop friendships rather than the believers. Allah warned against such behavior when he said, and whoever does that will never be helped by Allah in any way, meaning whoever commits this act that Allah has prohibited, then Allah will discard him. Allah will discard a Muslim who has a Jewish or Christian or pagan friend. But we've already seen that there is an exception. Ibn Kathir continues... Unless you indeed fear a danger from them, meaning except those believers who, in some areas or times, fear for their safety from the disbelievers. In this case, such believers are allowed to show friendship to the disbelievers outwardly, but never inwardly. For instance, Abu Khari reported that Abu Darda said, We smile in the face of some people, although our hearts curse them. Al-Bukhari said that Al-Hassan said, Taqiyah is allowed until the day of resurrection. Abu Adarda, one of Muhammad's companions, said, We smile in the face of some people, although our hearts curse them. That's how Muhammad's companions understood taqiyya. Why would Muslims need to pretend to be friendly? Because the Quran commands Muslims, Fight those who do not believe in Allah. Chapter 9, verse 29. Fight those of the unbelievers who are near to you and let them find in you hardness. Chapter 9, verse 123. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and those who are with him are severe against disbelievers and merciful among themselves. Chapter 48, verse 29. Muslims are commanded to violently subjugate non-Muslims. But sometimes Muslims aren't in a position to subjugate the unbelievers. What are they supposed to do then? Are they supposed to share their plans and say, we're not going to attack you now, but as soon as we get the chance, we're going to conquer your civilization, put your men to death, rape your wives, and enslave your children? Of course not. Countries wouldn't invite them in if they said that. So Allah commands them to pretend to be friendly, giving rise to the Islamic proverb, if you can't cut your enemy's hand, kiss it. Now, please don't misunderstand me when I explain what Islam teaches. When I tell you about Islam, I'm not telling you what your Muslim friends believe. So don't think that because Islam commands Muslims to violently subjugate unbelievers, but to pretend to be friendly when outnumbered, your Muslim friends must be lying to you when they say that Islam is a religion of peace. The average Muslim living in the West knows next to nothing about Islam and has been raised with the same values the rest of us were raised with. So when your Muslim friends tell you that Islam is peaceful, they probably believe it. Unfortunately, Islam isn't defined by peaceful, westernized Muslims. Islam is defined by Allah and Muhammad. And Allah and Muhammad say, fight the unbelievers unless you can't fight them. And if you can't fight them, deceive them so that they're completely off guard when it's time to fight them. We saw this in the Quran, and we saw it in Islam's most respected commentary on the Quran, which included quotations from Bukhari, Islam's most respected collector of ahadith, and two of Muhammad's companions.
So anyone who tells you that Islam doesn't promote this kind of deception either has no clue what he's talking about or he's practicing taqiyah. The Ilhan Omar debacle is now taking precious time, energy, and resources away from other more important debates and making Americans look bad globally. Congress debates while the world looks on. Here are a few excerpts from the House debate. Keep watching because I will tell you how this all fits into the Great Tribulation picture. House Resolution 183, Resolution Condemning Anti-Semitism as Hateful Expressions of Intolerance that are Contradictory <coughs> to the Values and Aspirations that Define the People of the United States and Condemning Anti-Muslim Discrimination and Bigotry Against Minorities as Hateful Expressions of Intolerance that are Contrary to the Values and Aspirations of the United States. I now yield one minute to the distinguished gentlelady from Virginia, Ms. Luria. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm a Jewish American woman who served for 20 years in uniform and continue to serve in the United States Congress. At the age of 17, when I entered the United States Naval Academy, I first took the oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I subsequently repeated that oath six times at every promotion and rank, and most recently when I had the honor to become a member of Congress. Is that not enough to prove my loyalty to our nation? I deployed six times, serving in six ships in the Middle East and Western Pacific, working under challenging conditions while operating complex weapon systems, overseeing nuclear reactors, driving ships, and ultimately commanding a combat-ready unit of 400 sailors. Is that not enough to prove my loyalty to our nation? In the first three years, my husband and I were married. We spent almost two years apart so that we could both serve at sea and deploy three times. Is that not enough to prove my loyalty to our nation? Am I look to look back on my military career and the sacrifices it meant for my family and remain silent in the face of people questioning my loyalty to our country? I believe that I speak clearly for all fellow Jewish veterans that this echoes of language that has been used to marginalize and persecute the Jewish people for centuries. The recent accusations of dual loyalty call into question the equal footing of Jewish members in elected office and, by extension, all Jews living in America. I'm proud to vote on this resolution in condemnation of this rhetoric. The reason you needed to hear Congresswoman Elaine Luria is because she is a Jew facing Ilhan Omar head-on in what is really a microcosm of a coming reality between the Jews and Muslims. The first Jewish Messiah Antichrist will face the Muslim Messiah Antichrist in a war that will kill the Jewish Messiah Antichrist. Jews in the American Congress are facing what will become a reality on Israeli soil. It's only the start. The debate was over a resolution and not a bill to make a law against the harm of Jews by Muslims. No, instead Congress added negative speech about any religious group, including Muslims, in the resolution.
The hate speech is not against Muslims, but against Jews, and Ilhan Omar's behavior and words are in line with the Islamic agenda to conquer both the United States and Israel. The U.S. must continue to come down on Israel's side against Islam because the U.S. is more House of Israel and thus the sister of the House of Judah than a relative of Islam, even though many of our Hebrew brethren are trapped in Islam. Jeremiah 3 verses 7 and 8 tell us that these two houses are sisters. The United States is the face of the house of Israel, the Ephraimite's house, in the end of days, who has been captured once again by Babylon under Barack Obama. Now, back to the video. The gentleman from Florida is recognized for well, thank one you, and a half minutes. Yielding, and I fully associate myself with the comments from the gentleman from New York condemning anti-Semitism, full stop, entirely appropriate thing to do. I just think it's curious how we ended up here. We are having this debate right now because Democrats had an objection to something said by a Democrat. And so they launch off on this drafting project. And then lo and behold, I hear all the remarks on the floor and a lot of the substance in the resolution is about President Trump and criticizing him and trying to open wounds. And so this is unfortunately becoming the new mantra of the left in the Congress. When they've got a problem that they can't solve, it must be President Trump's fault. You see, the reason the politicians can't lead the world out of the coming mess between the three main religions is because they can't even identify the problem. President Donald Trump is not the problem. But the politicians don't want to identify the problem because doing so would then require them to repent of their crimes against Yahweh, return to his kingdom, and uphold his laws instead of their own. That may seem simplistic to some, but the truth is that Yeshua taught us how simply and well the kingdom works because there is no politics there. Gone are the Pharisees, modern rabbis. Gone are the beast empires, the Roman, Greeks, Persians, Babylonians. Gone is the idea that individual believers get to make up their own rules instead of following Yahweh's very simple, life-extending and life-giving rules. The reason our people need those who have the biblical perspective is because the politicians have no spiritual insights. America is Israel's sister. America is related to Israel by ideology from the Bible. America is not related to Islam by ideology. Yes, all three religions share Hebrew descendants from Abraham, but only America and Israel are Yahweh's national descendants, both of which have Gentile DNA mixed in with them. It is because of this sister relationship that America must stand with Israel, even though Israel is rising to beat America down at some point to enslave those the Jews believe are Gentiles and not even of the same species as themselves. 
Now, I'm going to say something that you may find surprising, given the fact that many think I am anti-Semitic for calling the Jews to a greater righteousness and cooperation with Yahweh to restore his people to their land. I'm going to tell you why Americans must stand up against Ilhan Omar and all of Islam with Israel. It is because our biblical nation of Israel, not to be confused with the modern UN-created state of Israel, has failed to stand together, to work together, to fulfill the promise of brotherhood towards all twelve tribes together, seeking only what is good for all Hebrews. It is because our biblical nation of Israel not to be confused with the modern UN-created state of Israel, has failed to stand together, to work together, to fulfill the promise of brotherhood towards all twelve tribes together, seeking only what is good for all Hebrews, not just those of our own religion, Christianity or Judaism, House of Israel or House of Judah. I'm talking about the 2,900-year-old split in Yahweh's kingdom and the civil war between the two houses that is still ongoing. I'm telling you that it is up to us, you and me, to pray and work for this to stop. In essence, this is what praying for the peace of Jerusalem means. There was no peace in Jerusalem after the split. And there won't be peace in Jerusalem until peace and brotherhood become a reality between the two houses. Yahweh's biblical Israel is one of justice and equality. And one that stands against the mutual enemy of any tribe. Ephraim is America, Canada, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and all the places where Ephraim climbed over the wall. Politicians cannot stop the hatred of Edomite Islam against Israelite Judaism and Christianity. They cannot prevent the rise of the Mahdi against the modern UN-created State of Israel and America. Ilhan Omar is just the beginning because the political knotheads refuse to take a stand against Islam's agenda. Thus, they are allowing the takeover of America from within, ideologically, at the same time that she is threatened from without, militarily. The danger to America, end times mystery Babylon headquarters, is clear. She will be punished by both her own sister, Israel, and her Islamic Edomite cousins, it is no wonder the destruction of Mystery Babylon will be so memorable. She will be squeezed between two antichrists, the Jewish one that rises first, followed by the Islamic one that follows after he kills the Jewish Messiah and Antichrist. 
Will this be the Purim when the Jews introduce their Kabad, Kabal, Jewish man, Messiah to the world? Well, that still remains to be seen. But they certainly continue to push for Gentiles to join them. And to this, I want to say that the Jews have never in all their history wanted to have anything to do with any Gentiles. They pushed the house of Israel returnees away when Paul tried to bring some to the temple before its destruction in 70 AD, according to Acts 26. But the Jews sure want the Gentiles now. Why? It is because they intend to force all Gentiles to accept Judaism or Noahidism. Scripture says that Hebrews, Israelites, are not to make covenant with Gentiles, but the Jews converting people to Judaism or Noahidism are not violating that command in the strictest sense. They are making those Gentiles as one of them, either as an equal in Judaism or as a slave in Noahidism. In this article titled, Daily Prayer Book for Non-Jews to Bring in the Redemption by Adam Eliyahu Berkowitz on March 18th says, As preparations move forward to build the third temple as the house of prayer for all nations, rabbis are beginning to cope with the practical issues of what that prayer will be. One rabbi has prepared a book specifically for non-Jews that contains daily prayers as well as for any occasion. The coming temple will have practical issues that need to be addressed. Issues like, do they need to be killed for coming into the temple? Or, maybe we should give them a Jewish prayer book so we can increase our ranks for the war to come with Iran. If you think I'm being facetious, just know I am not. Under the direction of Rabbi Uri Amos Kerki, the Noahide World Center Brit Olam created a prayer book for Noahides. Noahides are non-Jews who perform the seven Noahide laws incumbent upon all of mankind with the intention of doing so because it is God's will. The structure of the prayer book is comprehensive and very close to that of the Jewish Siddur, including prayers for regular weekdays, the Sabbath, holidays, and a full Haggadah for the Passover Seder ritual. Here I want to add in something that is not written in this script. I want to let you know that it is not God's will for anyone to keep the Noahide laws. It is his intention that people will convert from being Gentile to Hebrew in order to keep his law, his Torah. So in writing this prayer book and bringing the Gentiles in for Passover, does this mean the Jews are going to have Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, observing Passover? You may be thinking, no, they will circumcise them. Well, if the Jews circumcise Gentiles so they can observe a Passover, that will mean that the Gentiles are no longer Gentiles, but Hebrews, and equal to Jews according to the Torah, if the Jews would look in their Tanakh once in a while instead of in the Talmud, they would know this.
Do you see how religion blinds us to the truth? Now back to the article. There is also a section titled Gates of Learning to help clarify the fundamental principles of faith. There is another reason for this Jewish push to convert Gentiles in the millions. They know war with Iran is coming, and they know the prophets say that Ephraim will be with them to fight their enemy. They are taking it on themselves to bring about their version of restoration, the version that can't see beyond Judaism. They don't yet understand that it will be the Ruach, Yeshua's Holy Spirit, who will cause the enmity between the house of Judah and the house of Israel to cease. Our enmity won't cease because they have converted Gentiles to Judaism. The increase of people observing the Noahide laws is very important in this era, and the creation of the state of Israel has made it once again incumbent upon us as Jews to once again act as light to the nations, according to Rabbi Kirki. Let's know this. The house of Judah has never been a light to the nations. It is only since 1948 that they have been allowed to return to Yahweh's land. But they were brought back to see if they would do better than they did before the Roman and Babylonian exiles. They didn't do what they should have back then, and they are not doing what they should now. I have a criticism for the Jews today, but it is not anti-Semitic. It is a call to righteousness, not castigation like Ilhan Omar and other anti-Semites. The truth is it scares me for them, and at the same time angers me for the way they are trying to prevent Yeshua from taking his rightful place. There are similarities and differences from the Jewish prayers to the Gentile prayer book, according to this article. For example, for clear practical reasons, a non-Jew cannot use the expression, the God of my fathers, as Jews do when praying, Rabbi Kirke explained. In this case, they will need to refer to the God of Israel or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, that means the Jews believe Yahweh is not our father. Also, Gentiles will not be permitted to read from the Torah in the presence of Jews. There will be no need for Jews and non-Jews to pray together, according to this article, but neither will it be forbidden. Let's continue to stand with the Jews, even though they are rejecting us, they are our brethren. And because of Yeshua, we, you and I, you and me, we are more enlightened than they are. And it is our duty to step into Joseph's role as leader. In other news, Syrian and Iraqi armed forces have decided to launch a joint operation for reopening the border between Syria and Iraq. A short time earlier, the Assad regime issued a statement demanding that U.S. forces remove themselves from Syria. 
This was meant to be the lead-in to the reopening of the 615-kilometer-long Syrian-Iraqi border to free the movement of goods and people for the first time after five years of closure. By this operation, Iran hopes, once the Russian and U.S. presence is gone, to get started on building its much-coveted land corridor for linking the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean via Iraq and Syria under Tehran's control. And Russia has decided to deploy nuclear-capable Tupolev Tu-22M3 strategic bombers to the Crimean Peninsula in response to the U.S. rolling out missile defenses in Romania, according to the IRA news agency and cited by a senior Russian lawmaker on Monday. Russia plans to station the bombers at its Crimea base permanently. Nuclear confrontation takes another uptick. The wire gets tighter. That's it for this Beastwatch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastwatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.